I, I know that I should be responsible for this, but other people just won't allow it. So when we're young, we tend to think that we're far more ready to make decisions for ourselves and those who are responsible for us will allow us to make. And thus the desire to be older. Whether it's your parents, your team leader, your boss, whoever it is that is responsible for giving you more responsibility, most likely he or she is looking for a, a, a maturity in your life that is commensurate with the authority that you wish to have. Maturity is one of those concepts that, that might be difficult to define, really. And in fact, it's kind of relative. What's, you, what level of maturity you need for this is one thing. What level of maturity you need for this is another. What, what does it mean to be a mature church member? Spiritual maturity as members of the body of Christ and the local body specifically that Paul was talking to in Ephesians and, 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 and for us as members of Grace Community Church. It's only one of the three points of this message. Uh, but this theme is prominent and it's presented as a goal for the church and for its individual members. Last week the focus was on the role of teachers and, and leaders in the church. Today the focus on the res- is on the responsibilities that are incumbent upon all of us. Teachers included every single member of the church. So not just for the handsome group that joined this morning. That was a good group, wasn't it? I mean, that's like half the congregation. So, so what's up with that, you know? Some of those who are already members aren't here today. But not just for that handsome group, but for all of us. Ephesians 4, 1 through 16. We're going to be focusing primarily in verses 11 to 16. This is part two of the message. Uh, but we're going to read the whole 16 verses for context. Would you please stand as we read the scripture as is our custom? Ephesians 4. The Apostle Paul is writing and he says, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. With all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. That's a, look at the connection, bearing one another, be patient with one another, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Unity is not happening apart from patience with one another. You know, it's just not going to happen. So, verse 4, there is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he also descended into the lower regions of the earth, or lower regions, the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry. For building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the, fa- of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God. To mature manhood and to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. So that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine. By human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ. It's, I, I'm, I, I'm struck by this over and over in, in preparation for this message. Not grow up in Christ, into Christ, into. We are to believe, John says, into. Pistuo is the Greek 
into, believe into. It's more than just, oh yeah, that's, that's my team. You're, you're part, you're wrapped up. Believe and we're to grow up into Christ. From whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. When each part is working properly. Making the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Father, this is a tall order. And we recognize that apart from the Spirit of God, it's not happening. But we have the Spirit of God. <laughs> the beautiful gift of the Spirit. Or as I've seen some recently say, Jesus continued. And that has some theological, we know the meaning. Lord, the Spirit of God is with us this day as Jesus is being exalted according to the Father's plan. The Trinity, we're amazed at who you are, God. And we pray that as we examine the design that you have put in place... For the entire church and for every local church, every local body. That our hearts would leap. To embrace and obey. And fulfill your word. And we can only do that through the work of the spirit. Through Christ in us living and, and serving in and through us. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Thank you. Be seated. Well, let me tell you where we're heading. And then we're going to look at the verses 11 to 16 one more time. And then the verses won't be on the screen anymore. So, so you'll want to have your Bibles open, phones turned, or what, whatever to that point. Um, we're going to think about spiritual maturity, growing up into Christ. And, and, and here's something, too, that's about this. These points are just all over each other. They really just kind of, it's like spaghetti, you know, that's really uh, mixed up. Spiritual maturity, growing up into Christ, family unity, promoting and protecting the oneness of the body. And then selfless service, which benefits me as much as it does you. When I'm serving you, I'm the beneficiary as much as you are. Might not think it's going to be that way, but it is that way. So, let's look at this text one more time with those things in your mind. Spiritual maturity, family unity, selfless service, and, and then we'll uh, get to um, thinking about these points. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry. So... For the building up of the body of Christ. Um, in the old King James. Verse 12. It says to equip the saints. Comma. For the work of ministry. Comma. For building up the body of Christ. And so people understood that the pastors. And most often it was a pastor. In those types of churches. That would follow that uh, particular point of view of scripture they would say oh the pastor is supposed to do this and he's to do the work of the ministry and and so there was this unnatural division between the pastor and the people the pastor pretty much does everything but the comma doesn't belong there the punctuation in in, in the English translations were not in the original Greek and everybody agrees that he's saying that the shepherd teachers the evangelist and the shepherd teachers are to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. The saints are the ones who do the work of the ministry for building up the body of Christ. And as we talked about last week, when the elders, uh, when the apostles were uh, approached about some of the needs, and they said, look, this, this ministry of the word and prayer is too important. Let's get other people to do that. You see the church sort of evolving you see God's plan unfolding in the book of Acts for the church and then in first and second Timothy and Titus which were written relatively late in Paul's life and ministry more and more structure is being added to the church so the, the, God has given 
shepherd teachers to the church to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine. You know people like that, don't you? They're just all over the place in what they believe about Scripture. And Paul's saying, this is not God's design. Because by human cunning and craftiness and deceitful schemes, schemes, people will try to get you to believe something that is not true. Then, rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into Him who is the head of Christ. We're going to talk about that little phrase a little bit. You ever had someone... Speak the truth in love to you. (laughs) From whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. When each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Okay, so let's first uh, think about spiritual maturity, growing up into Christ. Did did you get all of that growing up language that was in that text? (coughs) I mean, (coughs) what the Lord requires of those who follow him in his church. Until we all attain the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God. Mature manhood. Measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. No more children. Grow up in every way into him who is the head. Into Christ. So that the body builds itself in love. I mean, look. That's more growing up kind of talk in five verses than you got in your lifetime at home when your parents were telling you, grow up, grow up. Paul is saying it over and over in several different ways. It's time to grow up. And if there's one place where men and women ought to be spiritually, spiritually mature and act as adults, it's in the church. And that's the way it is, isn't it? My, by Golly, it's just that way every church I know. If there's one place, unfortunately, that men and women can be found acting like children and not in a good way, it's in the church. That's why Paul said that believers need to grow up. But he didn't stop there, you know, like others have when they told you, oh, grow up. Come on, just grow up. Paul said, grow up into Christ. How is one to do that? How do you grow up into Christ? In his letter to the Ephesians, it's very easy that that, that Paul wrote to the Ephesians. It's very easy to connect the dots between knowledge of the word, understanding and application of the word, and spiritual maturity. Remember that everything that we're looking at has to do with everything that we've looked at so far in Ephesians chapter 4. And really, you have to take the whole book of Ephesians, which we're going to see in a little bit. Um, We're all indwelled by one spirit. We've received one baptism. We are one body. Spiritual maturity cannot happen in a vacuum. It won't. There's no such thing as an independent Christian. That's an oxymoron. In Sean's last year or so, Sean and David and I and others who would be involved, Keisha would be there sometimes. We just talk about theology. We talk about things. and We were talking about how when you really look at the New Testament, salvation is more of a community thing than it is an individual thing. Now, every individual has to affirm faith in Christ. But everything in Scripture is about community. Everything about the body of Christ is community. Just the, just the term body of Christ. Family. What does it communicate to us? If Jesus gave the spiritual gifts of evangelists and pastor teachers to the body, then it won't do to seek to gain knowledge of the word simply by listening to this, watching this televangelist or listening to the podcast of this or that preacher. Now, it's awesome to do that. In fact, I hope you do. And you know what's been kind of an amazing thing to me as I watch some of you as adults, many of you, 
have trusted Christ as adults. After being here for a year or two and hearing the gospel and not even hardly <coughs> knowing. <coughs> I'm so sorry. The moment that 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 God saved you through Jesus, you, you might not even be able to put a, a, a finger and say, this is the time. It's just that, you know what? This is what I have come to believe and I believe it with all my heart. And then you start reading, you start listening to preachers, and I am amazed at how often you're listening to the right people. It's just the Spirit of God leads you into truth. But when you come and say, hey, I've heard this thing, I'd say, you know, you've got to be careful about this person. Because let me tell you what he or she really believes. And they're like, oh, I didn't know that. So you want to make sure that you're listening to the right people. But I, I, would, I would guess that 90% of what you guys are listening to is excellent or reading. It's just that way. But it's always good to, to run this by someone that you trust theologically and say, what do you think about this author? What do you think about this speaker? But listen, there is great benefit to reading and studying and listening to those who are expository preachers and teachers of the word. As I mentioned before, that's what Ricky and I were doing. Ryan and Christina were doing this week. We were soaking it up. Tim Keller, D.A. Carson. Believe me, you're going to be hearing a lot of that in the coming months. Not much today that I could get in here. I was a little disappointed about that. but Because it was some really good stuff. And by the time you hear it, Ryan and Christine will be saying, have I heard that before? You know, where did, I, where did I hear that? God's design is for us to grow up into Christ within the context. Let me just leave out the context. Within a covenant community. We are to learn together. And that will help us avoid the sin of the Corinthians who said, yeah, you know, that preacher right there, that's the one I like. And the other saying, oh, no, he's, you know, he may be all flash, but this guy over here, have you heard how eloquent he is? And they're all lining up behind preachers. No. I'm going to say more about this a little bit. You may have last week have been thinking, well, who do you think the preachers and teachers are? Some kind of something. No. No. We're servants of the Lord who have been gifted in a certain way. And Paul was appalled that people followed him instead of Apollos or Peter. And some said, oh, I'm so spiritual, I follow Christ. And we are to follow Christ, but not in the way that the people of Corinth were saying it. So if you will dig into the word with Sunday morning serving as merely just a taste to whet your appetite for much more of the word during the week... You're far more likely to be stable when the winds of false doctrine begin to blow. And they will blow. I can promise you. And they will, it'll be a warm southwest breeze or coming up breeze, a cool breeze on a hot day coming in from the ocean. And you need to be prepared for those waves. The individual impulses that are so common in our culture today work against growing into Christ according to God's design. If we are not anchored to a body that is committed to the truth of Scripture, then it's easy to begin to, to buy into the cultural mantra that says, well, truth is what you feel it is in your heart. You look in your heart and you see what you believe. Nobody else has the right to tell you that. It's what you find in your heart that counts. What is it you want to do with your life? Don't you let anybody else tell you what to do with your life. We quickly become guilty of gospel reductionism. Worshiping a God, worshiping a God who has no morality. Well, he has no morality of his own, that is. But that's very convenient because then he can shift his morality to meet your standard of morality. And in the end, you're okay. Not because you were growing in the knowledge of the truth and growing up into Christ. But you are okay 
Well, because you're okay. We tend to think of maturity as a, a place we reach in our life that provides freedom. A place where we are the determiners of our own fate. Jesus not only placed his fate in the hands of his father. Fulfilling the father's plan to the, to the smallest detail. Even when it was so difficult for him that he asked, is there no other way? He fulfilled that plan to the fullest. But he also served his followers. He served his followers. I mean, so much, we don't get so much about Scripture because we don't understand the culture of the day. I mean, for instance, when, 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 the, when the prevailing thought of all the Jewish people and then later the Christians was if you are serving God, he will bless you in every way, particularly materially and with good health. He will bless you. If you are disobedient to God, if you are not pleasing God, you will suffer economically, emotionally, all kinds of ways. You'll have all kinds of troubles. So when Jesus says, it is more difficult for a rich man to enter heaven than it is for a camel to go through an eye of a, of a needle. And, and the apostles say, who then can be saved? That makes sense when you understand the way people thought that day. I'm afraid we, most of the time we read scripture. Behold, it is more difficult for us. Who then can be saved? With God, it's, it's, it, all things are possible. Man, it's impossible. You know, and you miss what's going on. They were stunned. They're like, really? We thought rich people were the, in the front of the line. Not so. And the disciples one day are arguing and they're saying, who's going to be the greatest? Jesus knew what they were. He said, well, what were you talking about back there? You know, there's so much of, I didn't say this a few weeks when we were <clears throat> going through John 21. When Jesus asked Peter, do you love me more than all of these? Again, we think, behold, Peter, do you love me more than all of these? You know, whatever. Look. Peter had just said a few weeks earlier, he had said, if all of these deny you, I never will. So I can see Jesus, you know, saying, uh, so Peter, Peter, you love me more than all these guys? And Peter's like, Less, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he does it three times. And it's really, I mean, Peter, God, Jesus came at people, you know, with a little bit of an edge. And so Jesus asked the disciples, what were you talking about back there? And, you know, they didn't say anything. Why would they? Because it was stupid what they were saying. And Jesus said, you know, the Gentiles lord authority over one another. But it's not to be that way with you. Because the Son of Man came to serve, not to be served. If anybody should be served, don't you think it would be God walking in the flesh? Even if you didn't understand that fully, don't you think the Messiah, and they all had acknowledged he's the Messiah, don't you think he ought to get a, a little better treatment, and yet he's washing their feet? He's serving them after the resurrection. He's serving them breakfast. Maturity means that you're willing to be misunderstood, to be mocked, and even to be persecuted for the gospel. So another thing I will tell you about this past week. These guys are not alarmist. Tim Keller, D.A. Carson, John Piper. John Piper might be a little more than the others. Ligon Duncan, um, Philip Riken, Jared Wilson. These guys are not alarmist. And it was universally understood. The storms are coming. And they're not that far out. And... Jared Wilson put it this way. There's going to be a sifting really soon. And if your greatest desire is not to be embarrassed because you are out of step with the culture, you're going to fall away. You're not going to make it. It's time that we grow up. 
Because much is going to be required of us in the future. And I've thought about this a lot this week. Those of you who are older, we need to be hearing from you. I need to be passing on what I know to those who are younger than me. We need to be hearing from you. Our entire body needs to be engaged. One of the really cool things is these guys were getting ready to be persecuted. Look, the Colosseum at Ephesus was every bit as gruesome and awful as the Colosseum in Rome. And that's what they would crucify Christians, cover them in pitch, line them up along the paths leading to the Colosseum, and then they would light them on fire and say, Light of the world! Thank you for providing light to get to the Colosseum to watch more Christians killed. I don't anticipate that in my lifetime, but some of you, some of you are probably, you're almost like surely going to have to make a stand one way or the other. It's, if not for life or death, for any kind of life at all. And all of that's going on in Ephesus. And you know what he's talking about? Maturity in the body. If we grow up into Christ like we should, those things will take care of themselves. As we mature... We will prefer one another over ourselves, says Philippians 2, verses 3 and 4. Now, there's a verse that in the King James was quite useful when I was in college. Look not every man on his own things when you're taking a test, but also on the things of others. You know, I'm just kidding. But, you know, essentially Paul is saying, don't think so much about yourself. Think about others. Prefer others over yourself. You know, four of you are going to dinner and, and you want to go one place, everybody else wants to go there. If you always go to your place, there's something wrong with that. Well, I'm just a leader. No, you're just, you know, you're serving yourself is what you're doing. We're going to bear with one another, forgive one another readily, as Colossians 3 tells us. And I promise you, you will be challenged in the church to do that. In this body, at some point, you're going to have to Forgive someone if we're going to maintain the unity. If the church were made up of mature Christians, waiters and waitresses would be just beside themselves waiting for Sunday. Please give me the Sunday lunch shift. Is that what they do? The exact opposite. Because of the universal understanding that Christians are the meanest, they're the worst customers and and the worst tippers. Please, please, please do not bow your head in public and pray. If you're going to be a jerk to your server and you're going to leave less than 20%, less than two, anything less than 20% is unacceptable. If you're bowing your head and praying, just don't. That'll save you some money. And it'll save you a second for praying. Don't pray, just eat. Maturity says that we're different. But we take our cues from Fox News and MSNBC. And so everything is something to get mad about. This rule is cold. Take it back and give me another one. Our Heavenly Father, would you bless this food? Not that that's that big of a deal to me, but you know. (laughs) Um, Listen, a church ought to be full of mature believers. So full of mature believers that we love everyone so well that the opponents of Christianity have to say like the Emperor Julian did. You know, after Constantine, after Christianity had been legalized... Julian the apostate in the mid-300s was emperor for a couple of years. And he wanted to bring Rome back to its original glory. And it had to stamp out Christianity. And he told someone, we can't stamp them out because they love the poor so well. I mean, the Jews love the Jewish poor. The Romans love the Roman poor. The Greeks take care of their own. But Christians love all the poor. And everybody sees that. 
Spiritual maturity is not about having the most prominent voice or the prominent voice. It's not about having the best ideas, about knowing the most, even though the knowledge of Christ is part of maturity. Spiritual maturity means that we are becoming more and more like Jesus. Caring more about others than we do ourselves. Tim Keller puts it this way. The goal is maturity. Remember that. The goal is not some abstract standard of maturity. The goal is to be like Jesus. What is Jesus like? What can we say about the moral glory of Jesus? He's as hard as a diamond and he's as soft as velvet velvet, and as beautiful as both. He's full of love and laughter and at the same time power and courage. He's as intimidating as he is ultimately approachable. He is as powerful as he is tender. He is as courageous as he is patient. In the same way, you cannot be mature in a vacuum. You can't gain spiritual maturity in a vacuum. You can't gain it by just walking away. There are reasons to walk away sometimes. Most of the time, the reasons aren't good. Maturity is, it's like in a marriage. It's just easy to walk away in our day. Really easy. It's not what maturity does. Now, you may be acting like a child, you know, as you... Display your maturity. I'm going to stay, you know. Because it's hard sometimes, isn't it? If there's a commitment, everything else will be okay. You stay committed to your spouse. We're going to talk about that in a few weeks. Talk about marriages. And, And by the way, all the things that we're talking about coming up. And I know a lot of you are going to be... Leaving after school, a lot of you are going to be going on vacation. Keep listening because this is good. We're going to be talking about children, how they fit into the body, talking about marriages and ways that we're working to help marriages in our church, talking about students, about seniors. We Need the entire body engaged as we'll get to our last point. But now it's time to look at our second point. Biblical unity, family unity, promoting and protecting the oneness of the body. God has chosen to reveal himself to the world in all kinds of ways. Creation, conscience, this deep internal desire for justice that we have. He has revealed himself through scripture and ultimately through Jesus, who is, after all, God. And in his wisdom, God has designed that that the beautiful message of the gospel, that I cannot ever be good enough to get to heaven, but Jesus did what I was incapable of doing so that I could go. The bad news is that you are a worse sinner than you ever thought possible. You are a worse sinner than you ever thought you were. And the good news is that you are loved more than you ever knew you were. By Jesus who died on the cross for you. And through repentance of sin and calling out to him in faith, I believe that you died for me. And that's my hope of heaven. Then you are his child. It is just that simple. And as we have talked about recently, it is incredibly profound. All at the same time. Man, you front guy, Rose, I don't know about you. I spit all over. I mean, I see a all over the place. And I'm thinking, man, they're brave, you know, that they sit on the front row. Uh, I think that's beside the point, though. Now, since the gospel seems almost too good to be true, people want some sort of evidence that they can be forgiven Of their sins. That Jesus truly makes a difference in in our lives. Of course God is going to work in spite of us. If he didn't nothing would ever be accomplished. 
But in the same way that he is designed for our prayers to play a prominent role in accomplishing his sovereign will, that seems almost contradictory. God is sovereign. He determines what's happening. But he uses our prayers. Haven't you seen that? Look, when God answers your prayers, it's like, yeah. But it was his plan all along. It ought to encourage us to pray more. But in that same way, he uses the loving and unified church to attract the world to Jesus. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples because you have love for one another. They ought to. We ought to be going out. Talked about it last week. Evangelism. We, our evangelists need to raise up and rise up and say, "Hey, man, let's 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 get the gospel out there." That's your gift. You need to be reminding us of that. But we ought to be so tight that people want it. They just want to be a part of this. They hear about it. They see it, and they want to be a part of it. <clears throat> Unity in our text is associated not only with the proper teaching of the word, but also the receiving and the believing of the word. So everybody's got a role to play. And be the Berean Christians. Go home and make sure that this is true. Search it out for yourself. That's fine. Do that. Please do that. But receive the word. Since... The doctrine of the Trinity is one of the most important Christian doctrines. A proper understanding of that doctrine helps us understand how God is, has, has sought to establish unity in our body. We, we recognize the three members of the Trinity, the three persons of the, of the Trinity, as one essence. It's one God in three persons. We can't explain that. But he's co- all three members are co-equal and co-eternal. It wasn't the Father first and then the Son and the Spirit came along. They've been here since before time. And we'll all go crazy if we try to think about that. They've never had a beginning. God, God has never had a beginning. I, I say they. He has never had. He? Who are you talking about? Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Co-equal, co-eternal. Yet each person of the Trinity has distinct roles that involve authority, submission, bringing glory to another member of the Trinity, stepping out of the limelight. So a perfect example for us. Unity is a twofold proposition. We have already been united in Christ. All the walls are broken down. Jew and Gentile, um, slave and free, employer, employee, For our purposes, male and female, we're all one in Christ, sophisticated and unsophisticated. If we are in Christ, we are one body, even though we still have roles to fulfill. But as we mature spiritually, we're told to seek to attain to the unity of the faith. We are to both protect and promote unity. Elder rule is, is new to some of you, though I think by now most of you know how it works. And I think a large percentage of you would affirm the wisdom of God's plan in making the pastors a multiple uh, process or a multiple group. It's a, it's a group of pastors, not one pastor. I want to make something clear, though. The elders are not the head of this church. Jesus is the head of this church. And we pray in our elders' meetings from time to time. As often as I think about it, I like to pray, Jesus, you are the head of this church. Help us to follow your lead on this. You know, we've got decisions. We want his desires, his goals, his end. A lot of that's in Scripture. Sometimes we have to go, you know, beyond that. It doesn't answer it quite as clearly as we want. So we're praying for the Lord's wisdom as we go. By the way, speaking of that, we, we've been having a 2,000-year conversation about the gospel. And, and, and part of our unity is tied all the way back to the apostles. So we're, when we're told to speak the truth to one another in love, we tend to think that this command is reserved for rebuking someone, you know. Well, I'm going to have to speak the truth in love here, you know. Notch it up a little bit and let's get into it. 
Uh, well, there are times that that's true. In order to maintain the unity of the body, that has to be done. Not just by the elders, it has to be done. Sometimes the elders don't have any idea what's going on. And somebody on the ground's got to say, uh-uh, we're not going. You, we can't go there. You can't do that. That's, that's threatening the unity of Jesus' body. But this verse has at least as much to do with encouraging one another in the truth of the gospel. That our sins are forgiven in Christ as it does with being sensitive to the need to rebuke a brother or sister. As with maturity, so with unity. It's about preferring others over yourself and engaging the interest of others over your own. So here are a few things to consider when you think about unity. And if you think I'm preaching at you, you are absolutely right. Because I'm preaching at me. And this, this stuff is all a part of the human condition. It's just, it's just connected with who we are. So first, this is how to protect the unity. First, learn the difference between important doctrinal issues and personal preferences. That's not as easy as it might sound. We may have different, you know, opinions about what that is. Second, you don't always have to answer every question and or speak to every issue. This may be a shock to you, but you don't. Lord's been talking to me about this a lot. Jim McLaughlin will say often, I knew you were going to say something about that, you know. I knew, I said, Brad's not going to be quiet on this one. And it's the truth, you know, I just... Um, third, going it alone, minding your own business, is not an option for anyone in the covenant community of faith. It's just not... The Christianity that you're practicing, if you're all on your own, is not biblical Christianity. That's serious. Think about it. Next. You don't always have to be right. Not only do you not have to speak to something, but you don't always have to be right. In fact, a failure to say, you know, I got that one wrong, is a sign of immaturity, not maturity. And even if you are right, sometimes, just let it alone. In the big scheme of things, it's not that big a deal. It's, it's one of those deals where you may win the battle and lose the war. You don't want to do that. Next, when you are tempted to speak about the weakness of a brother or sister, resist the temptation in the spirit and pray for him or her instead. Now, this is a plan that will significantly increase your prayer life. Um, when you're tempted to speak about the weakness of a brother or sister, resist the temptation in the spirit and pray for him or her instead. And as you pray for him or her, him or her ask the Lord to shore up the weaknesses in your life as well. And then last, never <clears throat> expect or accept glory that belongs to Jesus. Wouldn't that help our unity? If Jesus is magnified here, it'll it'll put a it will put a hurting to our unity problems, as they say in the South. They don't say it exactly that way. I'll put a hurting to the unity problems. <coughs> The last challenge from our text today is selfless service, benefiting you as well as others. We've all experienced the, the truth of Jesus' words. It's more blessed to give than to receive. You get that in marriage, don't you? You get it in, in your work relationships and others. When you give, you receive. I'm not talking about the kind of giving that makes you, well, I feel good about myself. I helped this person and everybody saw it talking about that. I'm talking about the kind of giving that nobody sees and in fact is a cost to you. It's more blessed to give than receive. And the, and the truth of Scripture is played out over and over and over. When we're not worrying about our rights, our voice, but we're given to others, we are blessed. Obviously, 
Truth has to be proclaimed. None of this is to say, hey, be quiet what you're talking about. Just let somebody. We all get a voice. That's a beautiful thing about it. When we were reading early in Ephesians, weren't you struck by the number of times you saw the word one? Last week in Ephesians 2, we saw this building. The apostles are on the foundation, but Jesus is the cornerstone, and we're all connected in some way to the cornerstone, and we're connected to one another. In in Ephesians 6, um, later, where Paul talks about spiritual warfare, and he says, raise the shield of faith. To uh, take care of the darts that the Satan is throwing at us. The arrows. Did you see gladiator? Everybody see gladiator? The shields are almost certainly talking about those, you know, long, relatively lightweight shields. And, and <clears throat> the barbarians used to, they just rain down arrows. Can you imagine? You see those realistic movies and it's just, uh, uh. I mean, just. Hundreds of arrows coming down and people getting stuck through and all that kind of stuff. But they would, the guys in the front would kneel down with those shields and the guys behind would crouch down and they'd put the shields above and they all came together and they, they formed an impenetrable shield. But everybody had to be working together. Even the spiritual warfare is a community thing. Pray for me. I need to stand against Satan. Yes, you do. Let us help you. We'll pray for you. That's the big, biggest thing we can do. But every way you can, call and check on the person. Encourage them. Work together. So that our body be fully protected from the attacks of the enemy. The Lord tells us in Ephesians 4 that it takes the whole body working together to accomplish his sovereign plan. If that seems contradictory, it's not. It it takes the entire body if God's plan is going to be sovereign plan is going to be accomplished. In his design, he uses our prayers as a way to accomplish his sovereign plan. And our text informs us that his plan includes every single one of us. And he has designed that we be not only connected but serving one another in the body. Talked about this a few weeks ago. Some people that you don't even know may be praying a shield of protection over us. They may be giving. They may be doing things that are very important to our body. And you'll never see it. But if we're going to function. We are to grow up in every way. Into him who is the head. Into Christ from whom the whole body. Joined and held together by every joint. With which it is equipped. When each part is working properly. Makes the body grow. So that it builds itself up in love. So how has God gifted you? Do you know what your spiritual gift is? And are you using using it according to God's design? (laughs) Are there ways that you would like to serve in the church, but you've never really felt like you had an opportunity to? Are you too shy to ask someone if you can serve? Look, if there are people in our church, our church, who are totally unnoticed, then it falls on both the individual who feels left out. you got to get in there. But also it falls on the rest of us. If the whole body, if, the, if, if, if our success depends on the entire body functioning together, then we got to figure out who these people are that we don't really know. We see them, but we don't know them. So today after church, would you be willing to seek someone out that you don't know? You don't have to invite them over for dinner. Just say, look, I don't know you and I should. We sit in the same section. I just, just want to introduce myself and... Just get to know them a a, a little bit, something like that. And if you're a student from middle school to grad school, would you be bold enough to seek someone out and say, hey, I just want to introduce myself. I wanted to to meet you and and greet you. Next week, we're going to be talking much more fully about the thing that Bert uh, shared about membership. It's time for us to grow up. Not just for the sake of growing up, but we are to grow up into Christ. It's time for us to get in the Word and let the Word master us. It's time for us to realize that this family is all about Jesus. 
that we have a job to do and that we are called to unity in the truth of the gospel. It's time for us to lift up Jesus and exalt him. Let's pray. Well, Lord, um, we are so grateful to be in Christ. We are grateful to be in a body that is in Christ. And it's not always easy. Family life, body life, it's not always easy. But Lord, what a beautiful blessing that, <coughs> that others in this body are gifted in ways that, that compensate for my weaknesses. And that you have gifted me in ways that help others to grow up into Christ. That's what we're all to be about. Thank you, Jesus. Exalt your name. Amen. Today we learned of the importance of striving towards spiritual maturity and unity in the body. What better way to equip ourselves in this endeavor than to immerse ourselves in the word, guided by the shepherds and teachers that God has blessed us with, so that we may build each other up, defend ourselves against false teachings, and lead others to know the saving grace of Jesus. Jude reminds us in his letter to both persevere in the face of scoffers seeking to destroy unity in the church and to continually work to bring others to Christ. He writes, It is these who cause divisions, worldly people devoid of the Spirit. But you, beloved, building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. And have mercy on those who doubt. Save others by snatching them out of the fire. To others show mercy with fear, hating even the garment stained by the flesh. Take up the shield of faith this week so that you may extinguish the flaming darts of the evil one. And take up the sword of the Spirit, the word of God, so that you may boldly proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ to others. Jude continues, Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy, to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion and authority before all time now and forever.